0: Is there a difference between acceptance and accommodation? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, how's it going, man?
1: It's going well. I'm looking forward to our discussion. We're dealing with a short but nonetheless substantive and challenging uh, epistle today with uh, Philemon. Yeah,
0: yeah. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that uh, chances are you may have missed because it is a teeny tiny epistle. Um, It is actually the shortest of all of Paul's epistles. Hyde, I believe, if if my math is right, is um, almost as short
1: as jude yeah jude jude and philemon always get thrown up uh, thrown up as the examples of short uh books of the bible you got although, second, although, second john and third john are really short too yeah i
0: think those two combined equal out to this one in terms okay. of number yeah i haven't of... seen the stats on the exact word count <laughs> lately of, the,
1: of those books well you know just count it by verse and it's fine so. oh yeah verse, since, <laughs> since you know the the first century authors were dealing, you know, writing in verse, like what do I, I've got, I've got verse two down now. I need verse three. I need a really yeah, that's good line right. here.
0: That's right. All right. So before we get to, before we get into this, uh, let's, let's set up a little bit of context for Philemon and, um, and then we'll read the actual epistle because it's nice and short. Uh, we'll hit a few questions and then we'll be on our way. So Josh, how about you give us
1: the quick rundown on what we need to know about this letter? Sure. This is one of Paul's uh, several uh, prison letters, so it's dated around 62 A- A- AD, uh, so think of the same uh, time frame as Colossians and, and Ephesians. Uh, there's some connection to Ephesus and, and Paul's um, interaction with uh, with Philemon. Uh, it's, as I said, it's one of the the, the prison epistles, so you're going to place it around the time that, that Paul was in Rome uh, under, under watch there by the, uh, by the Roman guard. Uh, it's, it's different, though, from his other epistles. Instead of being sent to be read to an entire church, it's, it's written directly to a specific individual, and it's dealing with an issue uh, between two believers, namely Philemon uh, whose name is in the title of the, of, the, of the epistle, and then Onesimus, who's a former bond servant or slave of, of Philemon. Philemon was likely a, a wealthy uh, man who had a, a considerable estate since he was able to own a slave, so to speak. And uh, he had become a Christian at some point. Paul, uh, Philemon had probably heard the gospel sometime during uh, Paul's ministry in, in Ephesus uh, around 10 years. Uh, before the writing of this, and so since he believed the gospel, um, he's been he's been active in the church. He could have been, you know, a, a great benefactor in the church due to his social status. There's some historical uh, research that's been done on that, but uh, sometime eventually, Anisimus, uh ran off. Uh, he was a runaway slave, which was a serious crime uh, during uh, the times of the of the Roman Roman Empire. And uh, so Philemon would have been within his rights as a a Roman citizen to uh, punish him to the full extent of the the law. But during this time away, Onesimus uh, seems from what we can um, put together about the background to have encountered Paul and uh, had had come to faith in Christ. So he had believed the gospel. So he's a fellow Christian along with uh, Philemon. Uh, And so, what will this relationship be like? When and if Onesimus returns, that's that's the situation that Paul is trying to to navigate and steer in the in the in a, in a good and healthy direction. That's informed uh, by how God's grace is revealed to us in the in the gospel. Paul is encouraging uh, reconciliation between the two. What what does reconciliation look reconciliation look like? For first-century Christians, uh, with the backdrop of slavery being a uh, being a given social convention, I think that gives us a good idea of the of the background of the of the letter.
0: Yeah, that does. That was one of the things that we do have to remember. Just before we get into the letter itself, is is that uh, part of the reason that we talk about the background of a letter and try to give some context to that is is because all everything that is in the Bible. Um, is addressing a specific, uh, a specific set of people at a specific set of times, and it's really easy for all of us to, uh, you know, sitting about two thousand years past those events, to forget that and to make immediate applications to our circumstances without filtering them through. Okay, what would have been going on? What were those chief concerns? Why, why is this an issue? Um, there's not always a straight a A to B um, from 2,000 years ago to today but as we're going to see in the letter there is actually some stuff that is immediately practical and um, certainly helpful for us as we think about this issue of accommodation versus
1: acceptance right so. that, that's a great point and whenever you're studying the Bible just like with any ancient document you need to bear in mind that it is an ancient document so it's going to have the the trappings, the form of an ancient document, but also it's going to be speaking within a context, an ancient context it, itself. So some things that are intuitive and assumed by them aren't going to be assumed by us in, in our culture for, for for good and bad because all cultures are fallen in, in, in different ways. So yeah. when the biblical authors are writing about a given situation, addressing a given Subject, uh, they're having to do so within the context of, of of that of that time, as we'll we'll see here with the convention of, of slavery that we that we mentioned and uh, going over the background to to so That's a that's a great point to get us started, Aaron, in terms of studying the Bible. It has, it's it's certainly a a book we need to study in historical context. Uh, you know, like you said, there's not one for one application always uh, to our own culture and, and time. But it always what what's there uh, within Scripture is always of uh, eternal, timeless significance and application because it still bears God's authority. It's just working out how how do we apply what God has inspired to be written in a wise way for our own day. I think that's that's sort of the the question that that, that gets. Raised once we take into account that it, the Bible is an ancient book, and it's a collection of of writings, not just one writing written at one time, but at different times. And so, yeah, context is key. Let's
0: uh, start talking about this. So Philemon starting at verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to, Sophia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for uh, when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for this, for all the saints and the love that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement for, from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my uh, sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep... I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother. You, uh, yes, brother may i benefit from you in the lord refresh my heart in christ since i am confident of your obedience i am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than i say meanwhile i also prepare a guest room for me since i hope that through your prayers i will be restored to you epaphras my fellow servant in christ jesus sends you greetings and so do mark um, Aristarchus, demas and luke my co-workers the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there's a lot there, right. not not the least of which being some fairly complicated names. Yeah, I was going to um, say it's
1: always fun trying to pronounce biblical names that are unfamiliar to yep. us.
0: and as always, the the, t- the the trick is fast and confident. <laughs> so, but there is some interesting things here. Um, just thinking about people that had, you know, a, a theme that we're going to that we're going to touch on in a minute. Um, that connects to one of the themes we're going to talk about, rather. Uh, There are some names in here that show up, that do show up in other places, both in the narrative portions of the New Testament as well as in Paul's other epistles. So, for example, Mark and Demas um, both show up um, in other places. So clearly, um, at this point, Mark and Paul's relationship has been restored
1: and healed. Um, And yet Demas is still in the picture. Right, right, because Demas is said to stray from the faith in another epistle elsewhere. That's right, that's right. All right, so thinking about this letter, uh, what are some questions that we should be asking as we read and study it? Well, as we've um, alluded to to some extent, what, what what are the main themes to consider in this letter? And one of them is reconciliation. That's a very obvious one. We've recently done uh, a podcast on the, uh, the uh, Christ's atonement as reconciliation so there will be a lot of overlap in terms of uh, concepts uh, there and we're, so we're seeing sort of the practical implications of the reconciliation that Jesus has won for us with God in a lived out way uh, in, in which um, Paul is instructing um, Philemon to uh, interact and to, to um, act toward uh, toward Onesimus. So we're seeing that not only is it the great truth that the gospel reconciles us to God, that was the underlying most needed form of reconciliation uh, that, that we that, that we needed to have in order to be right with God but uh, that God out of his own love for us and through Christ reconciles himself to us and us to himself and because there was hostility because of who we are as sinners before God in rebellion, but there's also horizontal implications to that vertical uh, rift that was between God and us. That's been reckon, that's been reconciled and taken taken care of. So here we're seeing, well, how does this reconciliation that we have in Christ, how's that to be lived out uh, w- with one another? How, what are the implications for that between a a slave and a master? And how should the master now approach his slaves, seeing as they're both Uh, Christians in in this case Mm -hmm. and then another thing we want to consider is the the theme of love is is the supreme Christian virtue as uh, some have put it there's this this concept of the, the dual loves or the twin loves that we see throughout scripture and it's you know, it's recognized uh, by the by the Christian tradition at large. And so that's, that's love for God and, and love for neighbor. That's the, that's the sum total, the essence of the law, as Jesus said, is the first and second greatest commands. And so we're, we're seeing love for God and loving the other individual, even if he is a slave, as if he's made in the image of God. But in the case of this, even the, it, it, as if he's another Christian, since that's what, Uh, onesimus had become and so that's an entirely different way of conceiving uh, of humanity than this culture would have in terms of not seeing people as equals according to the the social structures that that were in place at that at that time and it's even uh radical in some regards in every in every culture and even even our own today though there's a lot of about human dignity we can thankfully take for take for granted uh, because of Christianity's influence and in, in the West specifically. But nonetheless, it's, it's nothing that was short of radical uh, during the first century time to, to regard uh, someone who's of the slave class, uh, that that's their lot in life, regard to that, regard that someone, someone as, as an equal and someone you should care about treating in a loving fashion, not just treat respectfully, but according to love. So you're seeing Paul exhort... Philemon to uh, exer- exercise and practice love toward uh, Onesimus as his fellow brother in Christ.
0: Yeah, and that uh, that desire to see his uh, see Philemon treat Onesimus as he is as a as a beloved brother in Christ really is the 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 point of this whole letter, right? So. Um, But it also leads into the into the next question, which, uh, you know, as you read those first four verses and as you continue to read the letter, you see Paul um, again and again um, commending and appealing to Philemon's faith and to how he expresses his faith practically in his love and encouragement, his bringing joy to to others. Um, And there is a. Um, and this is this is another one of those places where, um, you know, us being in a specific moment in time, our tendency is often to read such things very cynically, and right. to say, "Well, Paul is just buttering him up to um, to in order to make him feel good, and then get and then get him with the request." Is that what Paul was doing, though? And the answer is no. He genuinely was not doing that. Uh, Paul was commending Philemon's character, um, and he was doing so genuinely. Um, we should be, while Paul was very savvy in everything that he did, he was a very wise person, and he knew what he needed to do, and he knew how to um, basically work the systems that he needed to work. I mean, a great example of that is. is um what led him to being imprisoned in Rome in, in the first place was he uh he basically was put into protective custody slash arrested um to uh in order to go and preach the gospel to Caesar himself. Um but in this what Paul is doing essentially is is he's he's saying hey Philemon I know you I know what you're like um this is a this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate who you are in Christ by welcoming back Onesimus your runaway your runaway slave your runaway bondservant who has wronged you in some way. But because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for you, you can welcome him back and you can bring him and you can give to him in your imperfect human way what you have received equally imperfectly from me but perfectly from Christ. So that's what's going on there so it's not manipulation it is it is a genuine appeal to his character. Now that feeds into in feeds into the next couple of things as well. Um, one of those of course being um, that as he makes this, uh, this appeal, Paul is, um, he's saying, he's going as far as saying uh, that he would offer to repay anything uh, that that Onesimus is owed. Um, so why was he doing this? Was it, was it because he knew that there was something that had to be repaid or was it, was this a common practice? What What's
1: going on here, Josh? Well, it probably wasn't a common practice for someone to pay the debt of a slave uh, when the slave had transgressed against the, the slave owner, if we could put it that way. Uh, so this would have been a, a radical notion to think that you needed to go out of your way or that you should go out of your way uh, to, to uh, free or make better the, the condition of somebody who's uh, in, in, in the, um, in the stat- social status of being a slave. And so you're seeing this Christ-centered ethic, this cruciform ethic, that the Christian life should be shaped uh, by the the cross itself, the the path of Jesus to the cross and denying self uh, for the sake of others' good. And we're seeing Paul do just that, and that he's willing to take on the debt, uh, whatever Onesimus might have owed to Philemon. He's willing to pay that himself in order to see this reconciliation between what are now two brothers in Christ. Uh, come come into realization, and that this would have been uh, especially radical in this day that, that that a slave owner and a slave uh, are see one another's equals, and that this slave owner not only this master would not only uh, not hold uh, the running away against Onesimus, but that he would forgive him and and grant him his freedom, his emancipation. Uh, if if you call it that, if, if, if that's what uh, Paul is uh, calling him toward here, so Paul's not coercing him. He doesn't even urge him on uh, to do to release uh, Onesimus as a command. He could have used his uh, authority as an apostle to to have done so. He does exercise that authority in other letters, but here we see that he wants um, he wants Philemon to do this of his own initiative, of his own sense of identity in Christ. He wants that to lead. Uh, to to the reconciliation wants it to or, or grow organically from the supernatural transformation and change in identity that comes uh, from from being in Christ, and so and so that's that's what we we need to see here when when we have that language of that he wants to do it of his own volition or his own free free will is that this isn't coerced this isn't something that Paul's trying to guilt trip uh, Philemon into into do, doing yeah
0: yeah and that is and and we'll get we'll get to this in a a little bit as we as we think about uh how we would want to uh how we'd want to apply this what we learn from this passage but uh but it is worth bearing uh worth stating now that that genuine christian love is not manipulative right and so if we um If we find ourselves in a position where either we are being manipulated for the like under the guise of um, an appeal to to our faith and practice, um, or if we find ourselves tempted to do that to someone else, we need to stop and we need to say, "Okay, hold hold up a second. Let's think this through what's going on here. Why? That kind of thing. Right. Right um yeah so um yeah so sorry that's okay i'm gonna have to do so much editing
1: (laughs) so you can't usually tell in the recording though that you pieced (laughs) it together so well thank you thank you all right so
0: let's get to a really big issue here because we've used the word slave bond servant mm-hmm. a bunch of times um and through this through this letter paul is using this language of saying you know receive him back no longer as a slave but as a as a as a brother in, in christ um when we read this we need to figure find out what's going on we need to figure out what's going on here because the because there are a couple of different approaches that you can take with reading this. One is, is that, um, and this really is the heart of that, that question that, that led off the show, is this idea of acceptance and, um, and accommodation. And so what is going on here? Is, is Paul being accepting of slavery? Is he, be, is he accommodating it? Um, and what actually is he asking of Philemon right. as it relates to Onesimus
1: the the language itself is a little bit ambiguous in terms of uh, Paul's expectation because he doesn't come out and order him or strongly suggest that Philemon um, free or you know give Onesimus his full uh, emancipation but he says to no longer receive him as a slave he doesn't just pronounce in a declarative sense that he's no longer a slave but he's no longer treating him as a slave so paul is at the very least though uh, attempting tempting uh to have the master slave dynamic radically reshaped re-de- redefined in terms of how uh, the two are to uh, relate to one another so this is um Theology applied, if we could put it that way, where our status in Christ is equal. We're equal, equal partici- participants in the kingdom of God, and we're equal recipients of, of God's grace as far as how each of us has been swept up into God's wonderful reconciliation uh, of, of sinners. And so Paul's not endorsing slavery here, but he is treating it like it is the social norm that it was back then. And that's not to say that it should have been or that he's commending it as such. It's just the reality of things uh, back then. And it wasn't as if they had uh, a a democracy where they had the the social or political recourse to overthrow an institution like this that had been built into the uh, into society for, for centuries, that uh, any sort of immediate revolution would have meant economic collapse and this was, you know, what we have as welfare today, this would have been a form of, of welfare often for people who uh, were indebted would be to sell themselves or their uh, family into 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 slavery. A lot of occupations that we see as dignified today like physicians were oftentimes even, um, e- even um, something that one would take on as a as a slave and being a, a personal physician to uh, somebody in, in nobility so we we want to recognize what the social institution was in it in its context while not endorsing it uh, this is where it takes a certain level of humi- humility and critical thinking on our part and understanding how people in the first century had to navigate that and Paul was one of the people who had to just deal with this as a as a given But the gospel, nonetheless, brought change and transformation to the practice of slavery within the church, as we see in epistles like uh, to the Ephesians and in Colossians. He reshapes that slave-master dynamic in terms of having it informed uh, by the by the by the gospel. Um, Without this recourse to overthrow, as we as you know, 21st century. Uh, politically minded individuals uh, might think that there wasn't a realistic pathway to overthrowing a, a whole institution. So Paul is working out the redemptive implications, if we could put it that way, of his theology for for that institution. And one of the, the best ways to change that institution, since again the church did not have the power, influence, means in that day to to, to overthrow this institution for, for good that's something we see takes place centuries later with the uh, abolishment of the slave trade in the west which is we need to note different than the slavery that was going on in the first century that you know when we think of slavery today we think of race-based chattel slavery this was a different form it's not apologize. i'm not apologizing or we're not apologizing for that form of this more sort of working class indentured servanthood form of slavery that that existed in this day, where a human, one human being was still saw saw as owning another, that that's wrong. But it was it didn't have uh, it didn't have as uh, much of a denotation of racial superiority as, as later forms of, of slavery uh, uh, came to have, as we know it in the, in the West. But as as I was saying, the best and most effective way of undermining the institution and transforming it was to change the way that masters and slaves. Uh, related to one another, which is what we see Paul exhort and commend in, within the context of the church to treat a slave with kindness, with love, with, with compassion. That was not a given in, in the first century. Uh, but we do see Paul in places like 1 Corinthians 7:21, where he uh, exhorts slaves. He suggests that they pursue their freedom where it was feasible. And then we even see Paul condemn slavery as a, as a deplorable practice as something that's sinful. In First Timothy uh, 1, 9 and 10, he lists slave traders as an immoral behavior. He lists that among the sins that he names in that passage when Paul is bringing up different forms of sin. Uh, also, Paul uh, affirmed the equality that both slave and free shared in Christ, and uh, we see that multiple places, especially Galatians 3, Colossians 3 that, that we mentioned uh, in other epistles where Paul uh, treats uh, slavery, Ephesians six, another place uh, you might want to might want to look at, and if Philemon's connection to Ephesus makes that all the more significant in this this discussion. Uh, but we nonetheless see Paul's practical resolution to dealing with this uh, social evil that was a given and in that day, and he's a, he's accommodating around the social evil in order to do effective and and wise. Uh, ministry, and this is a great example of how a Christian can navigate social evils that aren't realistic to overthrow in the uh, immediate hor- horizon of things, uh, but nonetheless wants to, want to bring gospel perspective and, and gospel change. Uh, toward such 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 a such an institution, and so by this example of Philemon and Onesimus, this would have given other Christians who might have owned slaves a, a whole new model to follow in terms of how they related to their slaves. And so what what we're seeing is Paul sort of plant the seeds in a culture that would eventually undermine the whole practice of slavery, as we see with William Wilberforce and those who. How we're able to uh, able to move the West to denounce the, the institution of slavery. Uh, you're you're seeing in seed form. You're seeing the the seeds planted that would that would uh, eventually lead to the abolish abolishing of, of slavery. It just it took time for the gospel to penetrate culture and society in a way where the larger population would also deem it as 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 a evil to bemoan and not just an economic necessity if we could put it that way yeah that, that i think that gives us somewhat of a picture of what's going on there again it's not to get to the heart of that question as you mentioned aaron our accommodation and acceptance the same thing no no they're not paul's accommodating a social evil with that he doesn't have recourse to to overthrow in any sort of realistic way uh, but he so but he's not saying we should accept or endorse this, but it's something that we have to deal with.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, there's something that is a lot more effective when it comes to, like, basically grassroots subversion, which is really what, what he's talking about right. in his accommodation of the societal practice. And that actually leads us directly into, um, you know, what kind of guidance we can be offering as we're working through this passage with someone else, and... Um, you know, we do have to recognize that difference—that um, that there is a difference between acceptance and accommod- and accommodation. I mean, right now in our society, there is um, uh, it—you know—it can be framed as the redefinition of tolerance, where tolerance once meant that people could uh, coexist meaningfully and uh, and respectfully without. Right without having to agree upon everything now um now tolerance has been redefined to mean what it fundamentally cannot mean um which isn't simply that i acknowledge the right for what you believe to exist but i must therefore celebrate in order Mm -hmm. to um celebrate and fully accept whatever you believe or however you behave or any of these kinds of things, things that um, as Christians, we know we can't, we, we cannot accept. Um, so when, so thinking about lifestyles of all different sorts and kinds that um, ultimately are an enslavement to sin. And so we think about um, uh, same-sex relationships. We think about... Um, uh, people living in like in living in any kind of uh, relationship or outflow um, of existence that doesn't reflect God's intention for humanity. Um, so it's not just one type of thing, it's many different, uh, many different sins, <laughs> basically. Um, but we can exist in cultures and societies where those things are present, And rather than uh, and where we recognize that those things exist, where we recognize that they are in conflict with what how God has intended us to live. um, It doesn't mean that we necessarily have to use uh, that we have to pursue political um, means to address those things. Um, It's actually often more effective for us to work underground right um through relationships in the context of displaying and reflecting uh the the love that christ demonstrates for us and gives to us to reflect to others
1: yeah that, that, that's right i think it's important for christians today especially to recognize that distinction between acceptance and accommodation and how many in our culture only will accept the idea that toleration or acceptance be uh, expressed in terms of, of celebration or else you're going to be seen as the the, the backward um, archaic uh, you know if not barbaric person who has outdated view of yeah. morality yeah you know?
0: yeah so um, another thing that uh, another thing that we can glean from this passage really is is uh, to consider how our lives ref- uh, reflect love in this biblical sense as our primary virtue. How are we pursuing those who with whom we are in relationship by virtue of being brothers and sisters in Christ? How are we serving? How are we serving them um, to reflect? what uh, how God has has shown us great love. So where are we where are we rejoicing with those who are rejoicing? Where are we mourning and comforting those who mourn? Um, you know, I, I was thinking about Second uh, Corinthians one four that talks about how how um, God has comforted us in all affliction, so that we can comfort others in every affliction. And so, so really thinking about and that that's what we're talking about here too is is that we have that opportunity to do that, um, in this um, in this passage and a great example of Paul reflecting that and, and reflecting this virtue is reminding Philemon of how he reflects that and what an encouragement that is to him, as well. And so those are those are just some simple ways that we can do that and. Things that we can teach, um, that we can teach and encourage in
1: people of any age. Right. That that that's a that's a great point, and I always like to frame it in terms of when we have a uh, some sort of friendship relationship with another person. Does who they are in Christ and who you yourself are in Christ is that transcend all other? Uh, identities that you might put between that person and, and, and yourself. Is that seen as the most uh, definitive uh, identity that each of you have? And so that should be treated as the as the most uh, important identity that, that each, each of you have. As I've heard uh, pastors put it, you have more in common, you have a greater fellowship with uh, the Iraqi who believes in Christ than you do with your with your uh, atheist next door neighbor. Though the atheist next door neighbor here in the West here in America might look and act uh, the same as you do. His lifestyle, his routine might even reflect yours more than your brother in Christ who lives in Iraq but nonetheless you have more in common because of Christ with, with your uh, fellow believer in Iraq.
0: Uh, the last Couple of things that we that we can really think about here really are this matter of reconciliation. So, so where do we? This passage should encourage us to think about where do we need God's help reconciling with someone else, and how can we encourage reconciliation between brothers and sisters? The reality is is that because we do, as cliche as it is to say, because we do live in a fallen world, because we are all still prone to sin. Um, we will hurt one another that's part of being in a relationship with people um is either we will either we will hurt someone or they will hurt us and so how do we um how do we reconcile in so much as it is up to us um and how do we and if not entirely reconcile because there's certain there's certain things you can't um like you can forgive you can have a degree of reconciliation but you may not be able to have a um have the same kind of relationship i mean you think about um some of the more uh deplorable evils that that humans commit to one uh against one another um some of those it's not a good idea to continue to be in any sort of meaningful relationship with, even if you don't necessarily bear them any ill will. Right. Right. Um, that's a whole nother complicated side issue. But for the normal day to day stuff, um, what we need to remember is 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 that that ethic, that that virtue of love as as being primary and again, specific—not love in general, because love is not all you need, um, despite what the Beatles tell you. Um, it is specifically the 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 love of God demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is when. Uh, that is the heart and motivator for all love that we that we express in a genuine biblical sense and so how does the gospel encourage us to make peace with one another how does the gospel um, encourage us to stand in the gap and help others to do this as well
1: right as jesus said the one who has i've been forgiven much loves much Uh, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy Uh, he warns in a parable that if we don't forgive our brother neither will our heavenly father forgive us so if we don't practice we don't live out this uh, virtue of forgiveness and pursuing reconciliation then it really shows that our hearts aren't aligned with god's priorities and with with his kingdom and so we we uh, when we are thinking of reconciliation we need to have a others first mindset that mm-hmm. seems to have come up in several episodes lately but to be christ-like is to think of others but before yourselves Allah, philippians 2 mm-hmm. and uh, one thing i wanted to one thing i wanted to point out is that jesus gives us some tips and some instruction on this whole path to reconciliation in the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 if your uh, if your brother sins against you go to him so sometimes uh, you know, we might on a subtle level hold a, hold a grudge or we might wonder why someone's not apologized for us. They might not be aware. They might not remember uh, how they've offended you, how they've done harm to you. So that's also on the person who's offended at times uh, to go to the person and say, hey, this really affected me in a, in a negative way. This, this hurt me. This pained me. This uh, caused some sort of setback in, in my life. So we need to take it upon ourselves in pursuing reconciliation, to sometimes initiate that process, even when we feel like the other person is responsible for for the harm, uh, Jesus did instruct us that when we're sinned against, we might need to uh, confront lovingly confront our brother and sister in, in Christ who has 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 wronged us in, in some way, and we need to work out that reconciliation, or else. We, we can't really move forward in our worship. If you remember the context Jesus is speaking in first century Judaism, he's saying, you know, you can't even bring your gift to the altar until you first um, get this relationship right. Yeah. And so that, that's something that we don't, need to, we don't need to bear grudges, we don't need to hang, um, we don't need to constantly be um, trying to hang fault on someone that we feel needs to apologize and make good on some sort of wrong they've done. We need to be transparent and humble and and approaching them where we think we might have been wronged.
0: Man, that is a good note to end on. So, uh, Josh, thanks for talking about this passage. Uh, Listeners, thank you for uh, hanging out with us today for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.